and we're back. Season 2019. How's it going, Will? It's good, mate. It's good. We are back. This Merry, is it. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Easter. Uh, happy National Championship. Happy NFL Draft. Uh, what else have we had in there? Happy Thanksgiving, probably, as well. We've missed a lot. We I have think, missed a lot. I think we had Thanksgiving. I think that's oh, a we? November deal. Yeah, we okay. had that one. But everything else, you're right. We have missed a lot. We've been away. I've missed having you around. We haven't caught yeah, up as I, much. I know. Uh, your little one had her first birthday, and that was like months ago. And you I skipped out on that? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I don't blame you. Uh well, and welcome back to all our listeners as well. Um, we're looking forward to another big season of college football down under in 2019. Uh, we do need to catch up today on all the things that did happen, uh, culminating with the national championship game in December, uh, January mm-hmm. even, uh, and then moving through all the moves and things that have happened up until the draft, which finished just this weekend. Uh, and then we'll have a little bit of a chat about some other things that have been going on uh, around the place. Not that I really bring much these days. I'm pretty boring. I feel you, mate. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get started then. So uh, just quickly, we had our two semifinal games. Uh, Alabama played Oklahoma and won that one. That was the Orange Bowl, I believe. Uh, and then Clemson laid waste to Notre Dame uh, in their semi-final game, and then Clemson went on to absolutely upend Alabama in what was probably a little bit unforeseen, I think, to see an Alabama team get handled that easily. Yeah, I did not see that coming for sure. That was uh, quite an impressive effort from Clemson. Uh, Unfortunately, that meant that you took out our championship draft last year. It did, it did, yes. Which I didn't think was going to happen because you had three... Did you have three of the top four or do I have Oklahoma? I think you had OU. I wouldn't have had them. Not interested in that. (laughs) So I think we went two and two and it was fairly steady across the year with our top couple of picks. I mean, that was who we drafted one and two overall. Yep. So that's probably a little bit disappointing from a college football side of things. And then that's been a bit of a theme lately. It's just those two going to battle at the end because they are the two best teams. But I don't know, it's a sport where you want underdogs to get up and you want to see that Cinderella story and you kind of, we haven't got it for a while. Yeah, I, before we go into that, because I do want to touch on the the haves and the have-nots in college football, but just back to the game quickly, Trevor Lawrence is really good at the football. Uh, we were a little unsure going into last season whether Kelly Bryant, who took them you know, as far as the semifinals, uh, was going to be... You know, had they made a mistake in going with Trevor Lawrence, that is clearly not the case. Uh, and there are scouts out there saying that if he had gone into the draft this year, he would have been taken number one overall. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, that kid is something else. Yeah. He is, like, as a college prospect, we haven't seen anything since Andrew Luck. And, and even then, it's like, is he better than that? Because his performance on the field is more than what Luck was putting up. He has those same intangibles and athletic skills that you saw from luck but he's also hasn't lost yeah yeah he is i mean he is prototypical size he's got speed he sees the game well uh he understands because i know they were talking to Dabo swinney and saying you know he he makes checks at the line and he makes adjustments he plays far above himself but not only that he's got 
oh, I had like classic cliche term, but he's got an NFL arm. You see him throwing those corner outs and those deep outs and just dropping it in between two defenders or throwing ropes uh, up the seam, uh, it, which he hit Justin it's that Ross. Release. It's that yeah. release that does it for me. It's like it's instant. It's it's out straight away. You see that from kind of your Tom Brady's, Drew Brees, that real quick, like they make that decision and the ability to identify where the ball needs to be and to get it there, it's it's that half-second difference between a, a really good quarterback and the rest. Yeah, and on the other side of the ball, uh, Tua Tungavailoa, the quarterback at Alabama who had a ridiculous season. Uh, somehow didn't win the Heisman, but there was one stage where he'd thrown like 20 touchdowns and 15 incompletions for the season or something stupid like that. Um, but he really struggled. He did. Uh, through his second pick in particular was not a good one. Threw it into triple coverage, and he looked all out of sorts. I mean, I know that Clemson defense was fantastic with Christian Wilkins and Cleland Furrell and Austin Bryant and Dexter. Oh, Dexter Lawrence didn't play in the game because he got done for performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, but, you know, that defensive line was fantastic and just really made life difficult for the Alabama receivers and and Tungvaloa as well. So an impressive all-round game. Yeah, I mean, Cleland Farrell got himself paid on the back of that effort. He ended up being drafted uh, the other night, number four overall to Oakland. And a big part of that was to do with what he was able to do in this game against an elite left tackle in Jonah Williams. He made him look silly. And I think kind of Jonah Williams slid a little bit on the back of it, still picked at 11, but he was kind of the consensus top tackle that you would normally see go in the top 10 because there is that uh, requirement to have elite tackles. But he was made to look silly and had a huge result on the impact of this game because Tua just couldn't do anything. He had no time. He was under pressure every time he dropped back. So it was, yeah, you, you could see why they had three of that defensive line drafted in the first round because they are elite. Well, and one of them didn't even play in the game. And then you've got um, Albert Huggins came in and at that uh, one tech or that nose tackle position and just wrecked house again. And it's just like, man, Clemson just keep, getting these defensive linemen and know how to coach them up as well. It's not that they just get the good guys, they coach them. I think the other really nice thing from my perspective is you've got two completely contrasting sort of styles. You've got the Alabama machine on one side, which is slightly impersonal. It's go to a school to get yourself to the NFL. Your coach is known as a bit of a a hard ass and uh, less kind of a people person. Compared to the Clemson side of things where you've got Dabo Swinney who's got this big family thing, they put on their big feeds every week where all the coaching staff, all their families, all the players, all their families come along and they've got like a cookout happening, you know, and they, and they do all that. And, you know, it's really kind of happy-go-lucky, really friendly, positive atmosphere. And it was nice to see that the good guys win because... You see it in the NFL with the Patriots. They're kind of in that Alabama mold where they just churn out victory after victory. And it was nice to see the kind of positive, happy-go-lucky version get over the top. Yeah, I mean, Clemson are a great story like that. Darbo Sweeney has done an amazing job with the, the sort of program that he's running. He gets in these elite kids, but they're also the character ones. And, and then he rewards that good character. So if you are not doing well, the right thing off the field, 
he'll suit you. You won't play. It's not like some of these other programs, like FAU, for example, where it's kind of the second chance. You They take a lot of people who have done the wrong thing. Yeah, they're trying to rehabilitate them, but they also will turn more of a blind eye to a lot of the shit that happens off the field. Clemson won't. If, if you're not up to it, you'll sit and we'll find someone who's who's willing to do it and do it the right way, both on and off the field. So you're right. It's it's good to see. And it's easy to do that when you've got momentum. Getting the momentum in the first place is the tough bit. Okay, moving on. I uh, just wanted to have a quick chat. You mentioned it or touched on it before about the kind of haves and have-nots about how we selected Clemson and Bama to be the dominant ones. But those two are clearly on top. Then you've got Georgia and maybe Oklahoma, pending their kind of quarterback situation and Lincoln Riley moving forward. Uh, and not the fact that he's he's a fantastic coach, but there is chatter around him being an NFL person, um, and if he will stick around. But you know, outside of those four, there appears to be a drop off to the next level. And is that gap going to continue to get wider? I, I would include Ohio State in that. Yeah, okay. I, the only reason I'm hesitant to do that is because of the turnover um, and Urban Meyer. I know Jason Day is going to do a fantastic... Ryan Day? Sorry, Ryan Day. Why did I say Jason Day? Is he a golfer? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Ryan Day uh, steps in as the head man there, but anytime you've got coach movement, there is a little bit of upheaval, especially when you come from Urban Meyer, who is arguably one of the best college football coaches potentially of all time, winning national championships at multiple schools. Yeah, I mean, it, he, there's no doubting his credentials. I think it really helps them that Ryan Day is an internal candidate, so he's able to continue that momentum. So it will be interesting to see how much of a drop-off there is at that program. I think they're they're in the right stead and they're probably in that mix with those other four schools that you mentioned. And then after that, yeah, it's, it's kind of... A few big boys in Michigan, Texas, the likes of that, that historically have been all right, but not recently, and, and they would be looking to get up in there. Everywhere else, where, where's it going to come from? You know, it, you don't see it in the recruiting rankings. Uh, the USC's and that aren't, aren't beating down the door. They're not logging top three classes every year like these programs all are. I mean, USC is really struggling at the moment with recruiting. They've just had a mass exodus there in terms of players leaving. Clay Helton is under scrutiny. What, I mean, can it come out of the Pac-12? Because they are seen as the fifth out of five conferences. And, I mean, Oregon just turned out a really good recruiting class. Uh, And they're going to be good this year. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to be, but... Who like Washington? I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it out of the Pac-12. But I. I guess I'm just hoping that we don't see a extremely large chasm starting to develop between these top five and the rest, and it turns into, if it hasn't already, turns into uh, Premier League football, where you've got United, you've got Manchester City, you've got Liverpool, and you know Chelsea, and then the rest are just scrapping away. Exactly right. Fighting for, you know... Fifth and six. Exactly right. Mid-table, not get relegated, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're spot on. It's We we want to see a bit more parity. We want to see those Cinderella stories. And, I mean, history makes it clear that that's not the case at the moment. I mean, there's that five-star coefficient or four or five-star coefficient rating that you see come out where you need to have X amount of four and five stars on your program to be playing in the national championship game. And it's been accurate every year going back the last 15 years or something like that. 
you have to have solid recruiting classes to do it. And at the moment, the recruiting classes are all very similar in that they are those power programs that we yeah. talk about. Yeah, there's not many teams hitting that threshold uh, re- with regularity. Okay, let's push on. Let's have a chat about the transfer portal. So this year was the first kind of opportunity for the application of a new set of rules around the transfer portal and any player can opt to put their name forward into this portal and then from there, any team can elect to pick them up. Now, this isn't overly different from what has occurred in the past. Players have been able to transfer. They still have to sit a year. It's not a free-for-all. They can't just chop and change and move all the time. Uh, unless you are a graduate transfer, which means you finished your course and graduated, then you can. Uh, but if you're like a freshman or a sophomore and you you want to transfer because of playing time, then you're going to have to sit a year at your new school. Having said that, even even with this new transfer portal rules, we saw a massive increase in the number of guys changing schools. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty crazy this year, isn't it? There's a lot more visibility to it with the portal, so you can kind of see who is throwing out intention to transfer, even if they're not sure. I think they can enter in the portal uh, to open up the recruitment almost again. Uh, even though they're at a program, and then find that maybe they're in the situation they need to and, and continue on playing where they're at. Uh, and also, there's been an increase in these waivers of uh, having to sit for a year and, and becoming immediately eligible, which I'm not sure how I feel about this because it, it feels very piecemeal at the moment. They kind of assess it, and you put forward your case to say, because of this situation i think i should be immediately eligible to play and some of them are getting through and i i don't know enough of the details with them but the justin fields one for example going into ohio state i'm not quite sure why he's able to play straight away well his was the highest profile case so uh justin fields was at georgia and he picked Georgia knowing that Jake Fromm was the incumbent and a very good one. Exactly right. That. Five star before him. Yeah. And he decided to go there and didn't, you know, didn't take over as the starter. So he's like, no, nah, I'm out of here. Now, his justification for that was that he suffered racial abuse or something like that. Uh, now, the comment... Now, I am not Justin Fields. I am not going to speak for this situation. It's not my place to do so. Uh, but he said that one comment, uh, which was, I, I believe, the basis for his application to waive the one-year mandatory uh, sitting period, uh, he he said that that racial comment meant that he felt uncomfortable and had to move schools. And based on that, he was granted uh, immediate eligibility to play. Yeah, and it becomes a real slippery slope when you go into down that, when you start like yeah. case by case. Is it, you know, another situation for these power schools who want to take in the player are able to get enough money and resources and lawyers or whatever are getting involved in this to lobby to have them over it? Especially like- when the NCAA doesn't have the resources to manage this case by case. And they've now set a precedence here that every single person is going to apply. And like you said, these schools or these individual players, if they're heading into a last year and and they've got NFL aspirations, then they are going to, you know, look to be as proactive as they can in in getting this uh, one-year waivered or this immediate eligibility. Uh, Other players of note that were there, Tate Martell was quarterback, moved from 
Ohio State to Miami. And so how did he get immediate? I, I, I should know this being a Miami fan, but I don't know the basis for his argument, but he was given immediate eligibility to play. Um, the Canes also signed Asa Martin, a running back who wasn't. He ha- has to sit a year. Uh, Kelly Bryant moves to Mizzou. Uh, and I believe he's eligible straight away, but I believe that he's a grad transfer. Jalen Hurts moves to OU. Uh, That's a from, really interesting one too. From Alabama, yeah. So he's, OU he's gonna be the go start from guy there. Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick, to Kyler Murray, number one overall pick, to Jalen Hurts, um, which is an interesting one. Uh, Josh Jackson leaves Virginia Tech and heads to Maryland. Brandon Wimbush leaves Notre Dame. Uh, and heads to UCF. Austin Kendall was at OU, but since Jalen Hurts has come in, he's moved. Alex Hornibrook has moved from Nebraska uh, down to Florida State, which is a really interesting one, uh, coming from a power run offense, going into Willie Taggart's spread. Uh, and they've also got Kendall Bryles in there, so I don't really know how he fits, but uh, he goes there as well. Uh, now and, and and it wasn't just quarterbacks. Receivers, KJ Osborne moved. Juwan Johnson from Penn State moved. Luke Ford was a former four-star coming out of high school, leaving Georgia. So players are moving around all the time. Uh, and the probably the last two big notes, Michael Sleep Dalton, one of Will's favorites, punter from Arizona State, uh, is heading up to Iowa. Yeah. So he goes from party school number one to party school number two. Or from two to one, depending on who you ask. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, he's doing this right. <laughs> um, so he had a good year last year, and I, I don't know the reason for his movement, but uh, Wade Lees is leaving Maryland. He's put his name... What I say he's leaving Maryland. He's put his name in the transfer portal, um, but he's yet to get any interest from any schools at this stage. That we know of. That we know of. Uh, now, and I guess just going back a fraction, this the whole idea of putting the name in the portal means that you can kind of... Schools can approach you. And in the past, it was probably players saying, having to contact schools and say, listen, I'm not happy here. Can I look to make a move? Whereas this is far more transparent, far more visible. Uh, so yeah, that takes us through the transfer portal. Unfortunately, your Oklahoma State Cowboys lost a few boys as well. Former four-star defensive tackle, I believe. Yeah, Darian Daniels, Jalen McCleskey. We lost a quarterback as well, John Kohler. So there's a few boys who left uh, through that, unlike your mob, who is just transfer portal you yeah we uh, got kj osborne we got jalen phillips over from ucla bubba bolton from usc uh so yeah there's a lot of guys coming down to the u they see good things mate they see good a, things. a lot of talent there but that's never been the issue i don't know <laughs> uh, no yeah well uh but so it creates a bit of an interesting and slightly different dynamic uh it also means coaches have now got to recruit not only their incoming class, but potentially recruit players on their own team, which is potentially a little bit of an issue. I don't know how you see that one, but... Yeah, I, I'm i kind of open to the idea. So with this whole uh, immediately eligible, I would rather them just say, yep, we, we're going to open it up to everyone, rather than managing it case by case. Let's say if you want to move, you can and kind of free it up a little bit to say we have a college football free agency i'm okay with that uh, i'm not i don't i don't think you would be i don't think that suits 
Oklahoma State, though, does it? No, but it's more player friendly, I guess. If you get yourself in a situation, I mean, I think there should be. Is it though? Like, what? Are, I guess we've got to think like they're student athletes. What are we teaching these kids that if they if they don't start somewhere that they can move and then they can move again and just quit? Like the whole idea about football and and any sports really is to ensure that you teach them some lessons along the way. Because for a majority of these guys, they're not going to the NFL, and they should go and get a degree. And if you're moving schools every year. Your degree's going to be in trouble. But I guess that's what you would build it around, is how you can best help these students still a, a bit obtain the degree that they're going after. So I'm not sure of the exact rules, but for me, it's just you can't pick and choose. If you're a good player, you get to go. Or if you go into a big program, you get to go and play immediately. But if you're not, then you need to sit. I think... As you said, it's kind of up to programs themselves to build the right culture and have people want to stay around and do their time and do it the right way. Except there's money involved. Yeah, I mean, there is that. And the and the danger with free agency is, again, the teams that are more resourced, Alabama, <laughs> will start throwing incentives at existing players at existing schools. And I think that creates a real potential or potentially a really nasty atmosphere if players are being recruited as they're playing for a school, which is what would happen. Yeah, 100%. and I mean there already is a really nasty atmosphere with high school recruiting that well, comes true, out of there. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting one and it'll be even more interesting to see how it progresses as things move forward. Yeah, a lot more to come in this space. And uh, it could be this year, it could be massive. And then in the future, it might just die down and become not really a big deal, which is with most things new, often the way. On top of players moving around, there are a large number of coaches, as per usual, that have moved on. Mark Richt uh, left Miami, realizing that he wasn't getting the job done there, which was a nice thing for him to sort of step aside, and uh, not something that people do that often, I think. What was his contract worth there? Yeah, millions. He still had millions, and he walked away from that. Absolutely. It'd be nice to have enough money in the bank to be like, you know what, I am really not up to this. (laughs) Uh, I know I've got millions coming in my way, but I, I'm i going to look after the program here. I'm going to step aside. There's someone better at my job. Uh, so that, that's a good team, man. Yeah, and I don't think... There's never really been any questions that Mark Richt is a good guy. Like, he has been. He was at Georgia, which is where he made most of his dosh. So he's now just going to retire down in Miami and enjoy yeah. the sunshine. Not a good guy, just... Well, he is a good guy, just not a good coach. Yeah, he struggled late. Uh, Mac Brown moves or well, moves from the uh, broadcasting studio, I suppose, uh, back to Chapel Hill, which also is kind of where he started. Also out of that retirement booth or village or yeah. whatever. Because <laughs> he is old. Absolutely. Uh, so his southern draw will go back in and coach the Tar Heels this year as uh, Larry Fedora was let go. Les Miles heads to Kansas, another one who's been out of coaching. Uh, thoughts on Les Miles to the Jayhawks? That's a tough gig out there. I mean, that's a basketball school, uh, and they have not had any success in a long time in the football world. So that's a huge project that Les has decided to take on. I think he would have still had a fair bit of credibility, and and he would have been able to choose from a number of second-tier programs to go to. So Kansas is an interesting choice. It really is a ground up project that he's working on uh and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plans out because the big 12 has a, a lot of good programs a lot of good coaches there at the moment 
and recruiting into Kansas is going to be difficult. And we know without the recruits, I mean, he struggled to get it done. Well, he, he, he was good at LSU, but it's a hell of a different ball game with half your program being four and five star dudes than having one four star within your whole 110 man roster. So I think he's going to uh, learn a, a whole heap of things along the way, and I'm intrigued to see how that one plays out. Well, it's in, and it's interesting to say, it's a ground up. He's 65 years old now. Uh, so this is going to be uh, a long way back, if it is a long way back. And does he have the time to put into it? Like, What, what are your thoughts on a, on a school like this going after an older, big name as opposed to a perhaps a younger, up-and-coming coach? Uh, the, the problem with a younger up-and-coming coach is they're going to leave as well. I mean, yeah. if, if they do somehow manage to turn things around and have a few positive win seasons, we're talking like seven win seasons, which would be good for Kansas, then they're going to take the next step to a better program where things can go. If they've had the conversations with Les to say, you know, this is going to be your last spot, he has no further aspirations of jumping to a big program again. He wants to work over the next five years to build this program up and hand it on to that young up-and-coming coach from there and, and maybe perhaps build that from within. That kind of makes sense to me. I just think that it's it's an incredibly difficult job for him to do. Yeah, no doubt. And it'll be interesting to see how the Les Miles experience goes in Kansas. Uh, Scott Satterfield joins Louisville after a really disappointing season by them last year. Uh, Bill Snyder retires at Kansas State and Chris Kleeman comes in. Uh, Matt Wells leaves Utah State. He was the offensive coordinator there. Long blonde hair, looks a bit like a hippie. Um, uh, He's moving to Texas Tech as Cliff Kingsbury got the arse, but he is headed to the Arizona Cardinals. What are your thoughts on a guy who can't win at Texas Tech taking over an NFL franchise? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he was, what, below 500 at the college level and then gets an opportunity as a head coach in the NFL. So he had accepted the offensive coordinator position at USC, which I thought was a really good fit. And I was really looking forward to see what he could do with some of those West Coast playmakers out there. But now he's gone off to the NFL and yeah, it's it's a whole different ballgame out there. I understand that need for that offensive mind and moving towards a spread program. And they've let him go out and draft his own quarterback taking Kyler Murray number one overall uh, and ditching Rosen, which seems like, you know, really poor value on last year's draft pick. Uh, I, I think it's going to take time there. I think they've they've had a decent draft and they're able to pull in some players, but they're coming from a long way back. And with the young core that they have and the legend Larry Fitz kind of coming to the end of his tenure, they're, they're going to struggle early, so they're going to need some patience with him. And I just hope that they're kind of ready for that um, and aren't expecting immediate results. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting, interesting one with Cliff Kingsbury because his resume suggests he's not ready. And everyone's like, oh, well, he'll be fired. Rah, rah. But you look at most of the coaches that are hired this year, of which there was a number, six or seven, I think, in the NFL. Um, and they majority of them will be fired because they won't perform. So... I think it's an it's a good move by Arizona to take a risk on Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, he runs an air raid spread, which there's been elements of it in the NFL, but continually find that it's not that's not really the case. They haven't been able to uh, 
deliver and execute that at a high enough level and, and you know, forego that run game that they tend to want to do. So it'll be interesting to see what the Arizona offense looks like, and I think that'll be a, an interesting one moving forward. Paul Johnson leaves uh, Georgia Tech, which effectively spells the end for the triple option. Thank God. <laughs> uh, no more offensive linemen diving at knees. Uh, but the triple option is now gone from Power 5 football. They were the last remaining school. Uh, so it's just up to the uh, academies, I think, and maybe Georgia State still run a little bit of it. Uh, Jeff Collins uh, is the new head man at Tech. Mike Loxley leaves uh, leaves Alabama, one of Alabama assistants to move on, uh, and he takes over from DJ Durkin at Maryland. And like you said earlier, Ryan Day takes over from Urban Meyer at Ohio State. Last note that you were big on Dabo Swinney, big extension. Yes, so he's been given a 10-year, $93 million extension. So he's getting, like, I don't know, what's that, baseball money? Maybe not. I feel like baseball money is a bit more, but, like, the yeah. length of contract with dollars there, that's yeah. not, not, not a bad gig if you can get it. It's kind of unprecedented, really, at the college level to see a contract, maybe not that length. I think there have been a couple that have been thrown out, but for that value, it's insane. And don't get me wrong, if anyone deserves it, he's still only young, a 49-year-old bloke. He's, he's got plenty of coaching ahead of him. That's uh, that's insane dollars. So uh, I like Clemson being proactive and locking in their guy because they're the champs and they've been you know, one of the top few teams ever since he's been at the helm, uh, or at least... You know, from the get-go, he's been building towards this, and now they're at the peak. They don't seem to be dropping away, so power mm. to him. I, I mean, I like Clemson. I enjoy watching them play, and like I said, they do seem to be a bit happier, but a happier school, I suppose. Not happy school, that's not fair, but like a, a more positive kind of... Less robotic. Yeah. A uh, bit more personality at Clemson, but they keep winning, and I'll soon learn to dislike them as Absolutely, much as I we dislike will. every other winner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that sort of takes us through the coaches. Now, spring football's just finished. Obviously, we are kind of mid-autumn here in Australia. Uh, but spring football is coming to a close over in the States. Now, I don't fully... that They play... Every school has like a, a, a bit of a coaching... Sorry, a, a few uh, uh, practices. <laughs> I got there eventually. <laughs> I'm out of practice as well. Uh, practices leading into a spring game which just gives fans a bit of a look at how the team is moving, new players potentially. Uh, and I, I think that the spring game held more value in the past, but it doesn't seem to have the same kind of feeling around it that it once used to. Yeah, so the spring slate, they have uh, a certain amount of practices that Correct, they're allowed yeah. to have, something like 20 practices across yeah. a few-week period. Um, and that's kind of limits the time that the students are allowed to spend with the coaches and then that normally ends up with a game of sorts or some sort of active scrimmage that uh, the teams will get involved in. I think it's a good opportunity for the guys to really get to work in the weights room a lot of the time. Uh, I know that they kind of want to build those programs up for them to do themselves so they're not burning that coaching time whilst doing that. But it's a, an important touch point for motivation and stuff like that so that you're kind of working towards something and then in your own time also doubling down and, and really building it. That's where you really start to see 
not just the incoming freshmen, but maybe the second and third year players take that next step. It's in this period here where they pack on like 40 pounds of just muscle and, and they develop yeah. their bodies into being ready to play at the collegiate level. So then they'll head from spring football into the summer, which is where they do have a break and they'll all head home or if they're kind of local, they stay local or, you know, head down and, and have a bit of a party and that's kind of... Uh, you know, an enjoyable time, but still trying to stay relatively fit. And then they come back from the summer and it is full noise into the season. All right, let's continue to push this thing along. Firstly, I was going to get, before we get into the draft or our, our draft picks, we're sort of going to have a bit of a chat about who we think went well, but what were, what were your kind of overall thoughts about the draft? Any glaring oversights any glaring thoughts i love the draft uh i feel every year i, I get really excited about it because i follow the college football quite closely obviously and then this is kind of that build up there's it's, it's a bit of a weird one because i see they had it nashville this year day one they had like two hundred thousand people show up for it oh. which is just insane like i would have loved to have gone to this i know you would nashville is one of my favorite cities and it would be insane but then when you think about it there's nothing really happening like it's just dudes getting picked to teams i mean like i watched it on tv and what am I gaining from watching it on TV as opposed to just looking at the list the next day? It doesn't really change much for me. Not at all, but at the same time, I've, I'm the same and I've done it every year for the last 10 years and I'll keep doing it. So I, I, I love it. I think this was a, a great spectacle this year. Uh, I love the country music aspect they had around the broadcast of it. That was good fun. I have got some massive issues with the draft and okay. not, not with the draft itself, but with the fans, okay? And I know fans are fanatical. That is the whole thing with it. But these guys scream and cheer and get so excited or so disappointed based on a player's name being called out. And like, I look like, I'm a Tampa Bay fan, okay? We've sucked. We've had uh, five coaches in 10 years. We haven't made the playoffs in eight now, our fans go bananas every year when the draft comes around and we still suck. Like, I know the draft is there to give you hope, but we suck. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't get that excited. We just went and picked three defensive backs in our first four picks. Like, to me, it just doesn't, I get why people are excited, but you look like absolute knobs when you're standing there screaming and yelling in your fucking Washington Redskins gear and it's like you're a dickhead yeah but you can't help but love the fan reaction to picks that they don't like that's good like but they are so year. over the top it is it, it is almost like the it is the most American thing and this, it's just like cheering blindly for bullshit really it, it is weird when the camera pans on them and they're just pumped <laughs> up and you're like what are you doing mate pull your head in but i mean they've been drinking since midday they're having fun that's probably what i'd be doing if i was there too oh, so god anyway uh the last thing i'll note i'll note and i'll i guess i'll talk a little bit about this but we talked earlier early last season about the fact that the college game struggled to produce o-linemen and the nfl is desperate desperate to draft O-linemen because it's obviously filtering up and O-lines in the NFL are struggling 
and that continued yesterday as a trend. Uh, you look at how high Jonah Williams was taken. I'm not saying he's a bad offensive tackle or will go on to be a bad offensive tackle, but he got schooled in the national championship game. And historically, if you're picking a tackle kind of in the top, you know, 10 to 15, they are, you know, really, really solid players. We just haven't seen a Joe Thomas, even Russell Okung, who was taken really high from Oklahoma State. State. Um, But we just haven't had players that play the offensive line position that well. Yeah, well, there used to be a time where if you picked an offensive tackle in the top, five or ten picks, they were a shoe-in to be a bookend for ten years. Like and you, probably you go just to the Pro Bowl that away. Times, Exactly like, right. And yeah. and I guess we were lucky in the, the types of dudes we were coming out that you mentioned there. But lately that hasn't been the case. Uh, those that they have been drafted high have struggled and often the good tackles or the projected to be good tackles haven't panned out. They get moved into guard and they've been serviceable in their careers. But you're spot on in what your observation was earlier in this year. We had five defensive linemen drafted before the first tackle came off the board. And I'm not sure what the overall numbers were in the first couple of rounds, but it just seemed like there were a hell of a lot more D-line elite playmakers coming out than there were dudes who could stop them from doing it. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, that, those were kind of initial thoughts. All right. Uh, let's have a look. Let's go with... Let's not go positive. Let's go negative first. Okay. Who were the players that you thought uh, coming out that were drafted? And we will try not to make this too NFL, so let's try not to make it too situational. Uh, but who do you think are going to be busts in the NFL? Okay, so I'm going to kick my first one off, and I'm happy with this because it's uh, he ended up at the Packers, and I'm not a big Packers fan, being a Bears man myself. Yeah. But it's Rashawn Gary. Oh, I was going to go with him. Yeah, so obviously Tess off the chart. Yeah. Like the, the dude is a freak athletically, but he's one of those guys who should have been better than what you've seen off the field. So everything seems there. I think character-wise, he's, he's a good good operator. He is explodes off the charts 40 time. He's quick twitch, all of that stuff that you like to hear. Production-wise, just hasn't quite matched up to what his physical profile is. Uh, And that always concerns me. So, yes, don't get me wrong. We might look back at this comment three years from now and go, this dude is a freak. Why would you say that? He's a transcendent talent at the next level. But I think it's a safer bet to say he doesn't pan out. Because if I haven't seen it at the college level against dudes who are average, why is he going to excel at that next level against the elite? What, what's going to turn it on? Sometimes people can be athletic without that mental edge, whether it's that toughness or whatever it is, that ability to get punched in the face and then get back up and kind of feed off of that. And I think, I don't know, without knowing too much of the situation, this might be where he's at. And it wouldn't surprise me if he turns out to be maybe a situational guy up in Green Bay rather than what you want from a top 15 pick. I 100% agree. I am a big believer in production. And that's not always the case as well. There's plenty of guys that have gone into the NFL with half a good year at the college level or whatever and gone and, and done really, really well. Um, Ziggy Ansar would be one, although he did have a really good last year at BYU. But um, yeah, I think Rashawn Gary is going to flame out hard. I think he's going to have to slide inside and play as that three tech. Um, 
and and play that defensive tackle position. And he's going to struggle because he hasn't produced. So I 100% agree. My big flamer uh, is going to be Hollywood, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, the receiver out of OU. Uh, now he was touted as you know one of the the good receivers to take. He's what about 150 pounds ringing wet. Uh, he is tiny. Now he is lightning quick, and he will take the top off a of defense. But how many times have we seen these young little skinnies come into the NFL and struggle because you just cannot go and run a go route all the time and and burn these guys deep it just doesn't work at this level uh you know we saw Tavon Austin come in out of West Virginia and he's never really put it together um Dexter McCluster could never really put it together uh who's on Joe McKnight out of USC another kind of water bug type couldn't put it together there's been one which most people hang their hat on which is Deshaun Jackson out of Cow um and he's been in the NFL a long time now but I just think he is going to flame out hard and doing it in Baltimore. I know I said we wouldn't make it situational, but doing it in Baltimore with um, Lamar Jackson is not going to end well for him. Uh, and yeah, you can run him on some jet sweeps, but good on you. I agree with you wholeheartedly on this one. Uh, oh, wow. I, I had him on my list as well. So uh, same same reasons you give. the. It's a different game at the pro level. Every cornerback you're coming up against can run a 4-4. So, yeah, you're blazing a 4-3, but then the safety can run a 4-4-4-5 as well. So he's taking the right angles. He knows what he's doing. He's got you covered there too. Yes, it offers a different dynamic to have those guys who can burn the field, but in the first round, you really need to hit on these guys. And I think it's probably a, a bit of a reach for a small receiver like that and I don't see it panning out in the situation that he's ended up in. And there was nothing at OU that I saw where I was like, yeah, he's done something NFL-worthy. He was just torching dudes on jet sweeps. Because he is. He's, he's athletically a freak. Um, and I like like I like him. I think he's a good player. I just, as a first-round wide receiver, I don't see it. Uh, yep. Another one for you? Uh, so I'll pair a couple up here. Uh, okay. Pick eight and pick 20, I believe they ended up, in the two tight ends from Iowa. Oh, Hawkinson and not Fant do not believe that they are worthy of first round draft selections. Okay. So first one with Detroit, they should have learned. Last team to pick a tight end in the top 10 was Detroit. Eric Ebron? Was Eric it? Ebron, number yeah. eight. Didn't pan out for them. He had great skill set. He was a freak. He had a pretty good year this year as well at Indy since leaving Detroit. But I, I just don't see it. If tight end is not a position you should be drafting in the top 10, in my opinion, and Hawkinson, whilst uh, seems to have all of the tools, he's not that transcendent Rob Gronkowski type that is going to own the middle of the field, dominate catches, dominate as a pass blocker, dominate as a run blocker where need. Like, I just, I don't see it there. Uh, and then... I still had him projected as higher than Noah Fant. He is similar to my first selection in that you didn't really have that production where he has all these athletic traits, but maybe it was because he was sharing the field with Hawkinson. He never really caught that many balls and he never really was that successful on the field, which is what I want to see. So for both of those guys to be drafted in the first round, I think is probably a bit rich at where they got picked. I'm more of a, I'm in the Noah Fant, 
corner. Not that I am picking sides or anything. I think, no offense, the better tight end. I think he's a better inline guy. I think they're going to flex Hawkinson out a bit more because he's a bit more rangy, a bit more of that basketball background. I know he's a pretty good basketballer as well. But in the NFL, you've got to be able to run block. And I just see him getting abused uh, in the run game, uh, which could cause some issues. I mean, he's going to put on weight. He's going to get bigger. I don't really have a problem with those guys. Everyone, like, since Gronk, Gronk really ruined the position for everyone. He Adam Gilchrist did that position. <laughs> and now everyone's trying to find that freak tight end. Um, and, you know, can they do that? Probably not. <laughs> but, you know, all the best to them. I don't really have too many issues with them. My big ones are Titus Howard. And Andre Dillard, I'm going to package those two together. I talked about my doubts around the offensive line. These guys were picked back to back. Now, Andre Dillard was the sort of arguably the best tackle in the in the, in the the draft out of Washington State. Really good pass blocker. Uh, no doubt. He comes from that Mike Leach air raid system, so he knows how to pass block. But he's limited. And that was kind of discussed in the fact that he doesn't have a big long reach on him. He's, he's going to get, people are going to get their hands on him early. He's got good feet. He's a reasonable size. I just don't see it transferring into the NFL. This, the pick straight after that, the Houston Texans, I think actually probably wanted Dillard. However, Philadelphia jumped up and took him. So the Texans panicked and were like, oh, we've got to take a no tackle here. So they took the next guy on their board, which was Titus Howard out of Alabama State. Now, if you're picking a guy in the first round, has to be a left tackle. They picked a guy that wasn't even left tackle at Alabama State. So if you're not playing left tackle there, you're probably not playing left tackle in the NFL. Uh, and I've got concerns around those two guys as well. Yeah, that's a good call, especially on Titus Howard there, because you don't want to be getting projects in the first round in my eyes. It's it's too valuable to be saying, oh, maybe this guy will work out. Surely you're looking at a safer prospect who can contribute right away and yeah might not end up being an all, all pro for 10 years of his career but will be a genuine starter for a long time for your football team that's what I think you should be looking to do and Titus Howard as a right tackle at Alabama State just screams of project player for me mm. and I mean if he goes and has a really good career as a right tackle they'll take that I mean if you if you get a six or seven year starter or eight year starter who's really really solid I mean, that's not ideal in the first round, but you'll certainly take it over some people that are going to flame out a la Rashawn Gary. My last one, and this you might find this a bit interesting, yeah. uh, and I kind of, I didn't feel this way until I heard him speak. Oh, so <laughs> this draft pick, this pick 30 that started with New Orleans, uh, they sent to Green Bay as part of their trade last oh. year, ended up at Seattle, and then went, the Giants jumped up to grab him. DeAndre Baker cornerback out of georgia yeah like feisty dude good playmaker had, had a great year on the field this year yeah idiot <laughs> oh it was painful and like that was a lot of the word coming out during the process was that he wasn't interviewing very well and that people weren't uh thrilled with kind of his application off the field and that always kind of rings massive alarm bells for me <laughs> Then when I ha- heard him having a chat, I was like, yeah, I can see what the issue is. <laughs> Blue doesn't does not have a solid grasp of the English language. Uh, he liked the football, which is cool, but I just think there might be a few distractions there that... Dude, it's football, not a spelling bee. 
I think there's going to be a few distractions when that money hits the bank account that might prevent him <laughs> Jesus. from becoming the player that he probably should. Um, and I'm, I'm just a bit worried about that. You are speculating hard here on DeAndre Baker. I think he was really good. I know New York got hammered for their draft picks. And I'm about to hammer one here as well. But I didn't hate the DeAndre Baker. Baker pick. I thought he he's a good player. Uh, he was solid at Georgia. I don't know whether he's a first round talent, but yeah, that was a bit of a surprise for me. Um, interesting uh, analysis from Will there. <laughs> Maybe I'll just let that one go and move on. Uh, My got- last one is Daniel Jones. Uh, the New York Giants last year passed on Sam Darnold. They passed on Josh Rosen. They passed on Dwayne Haskins. They passed on Josh Allen as well, I believe. Did they? Yes. Perhaps. No, they did because they picked it two last year and took Saquon Barkley. Yep. And now they've picked Daniel Jones out of Duke. Yeah, this is the low-hanging fruit here. (laughs) I... uh, Now, I've watched Duke play. I've watched Daniel Jones play, being a Miami fan. Never been blown away he's he, he fits into that josh allen mold a little bit from last year big dude big arm but he's never really shown to me to be this kind of really really high level quarterback particularly on the mental side of the game and the issue becomes he was a late riser and late risers to me are always dangerous he shot up draft boards after the season finished And I think it's always interesting to have a look at your mock drafts as soon as the season finishes or even during that college football season and then see them a couple of weeks out from the draft. And if there's been a big riser, I'm really, really nervous about those guys. I do not think he's going to go on and have a good career in New York following up Eli Manning. Yeah, absolutely. This is an insane pick in my eyes. Like, How many dudes go on to the next level and get that much better I mean yeah he might have some of the traits but come on he hasn't shown it on the field you haven't seen it his accuracy is average at best he looks great in shorts and throwing the ball around don't get me wrong like he he looks like he could be a quarterback but if I haven't seen it out there on the field I am not going and taking the future of my franchise and and packaging it up here because that's essentially what it is If if this pick doesn't work out they're putting themselves back three, four years uh, at best because they'll continue on with Eli while he, <laughs> while he struggles and then Jones will hopefully get in a situation where he can learn and develop. But if he doesn't work out, how long do you go down that path with him struggling before you pull the pin again and, and you get back in this cycle? So No, but that, it's okay because, I mean, he's got OBJ to throw the ball to. No, so he does not. <laughs> he can hand it off, which is cool, but... <laughs> Yeah, this this ain't a great pick in my uh, Yeah, not a good one. All right, let's go to picks we did like really quickly. Uh, I'll jump straight off. Devin White out of LSU. The Bucks took him at linebacker uh, as, a, as an inside linebacker. You don't normally see inside linebackers go that high. Uh, a lot of people uh, compared him to Patrick Willis uh, when he came out and was drafted by San Francisco. Uh, I feel like inside linebackers, and as the Bucks switch to a 3-4, it's going to be more important. Inside linebackers, you don't notice them until you don't have one. And then you're like, man, we're getting just torched up the middle here. 
And it's like, well, if only we had a linebacker. So they do. He's fast. He's athletic. And I'm pretty happy with the Bucks taking Yeah, him. I love Devin White. He's one of my favorite players in all of college football last year. Uh, he, he's a freak. He flies around the place. He's a little bit undersized for a middle linebacker, but makes up for it with speed and instinct. And he's great. Uh, I'll pair that one up with Devin Bush, yeah, a, yeah. A, another middle linebacker. Yep. Ended up in a great spot in oh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh yeah. Like he's going to be the next great middle linebacker in Pittsburgh. And just watching him play, he loves to hit people and he brings it and he's he's thick. Like he's a <laughs> thick set dude. Another one who's a bit shorter, yeah. but when he collides, I hear it down here in Australia. Yeah. Like well, it's And those guys that like uh you don't necessarily need to be that tall. Uh you look at some of the some of the really good linebackers. I mean, Dick Buckus, arguably the best middle linebacker of all time, was pretty short. Ray Lewis was pretty short. Uh, Sean Merriman, he was more of an edge guy, but he was short. Uh, you know, so you don't have to be massive. You just got to be fast, instinctual, and those guys are. And I 100% agree. Uh, next one for me, I'm going to take Christian Wilkins. Uh, went to Miami. Uh, that kind of three technique, smaller, undersc- undersized D tackle. Uh, I think he's a really, really good one. He's intelligent. He's a good team guy. Uh, and he will go on to have a really, really productive career, I think. He may not put up really massive numbers, uh, but he's going to get... He's going to do damage in the in the interior and, and he's going to be a really solid pickup for them. Uh, for me, next up, both of the Redskins picks I liked, Ooh. which is unusual because the Redskins normally draft fairly poorly yeah uh but they picked up Dwayne Haskins at 15 which I thought was good value for him to still be there to not have to and they didn't have to move exactly right to not have to jump up because normally you know moving into the top 10 costs you next year's first round or at least a second rounder and something else they didn't have to move that they got their guy they needed a quarterback I think he can be very productive at the next level so I really like that one but even more so Montez Sweat yeah like, he was dropping down draft boards because of a heart condition that yeah. was picked up during the senior bowl that he dominated, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've then come out and said, like, just before the draft that they think he might have been misdiagnosed, so that might not be the case, might not be such an issue. But for me, his athleticism is off the charts. Yeah. Like, it's that elite level. They talk about that first step and all the measurements match up with the likes of Von Miller and Khalil Mack and that stuff that you just can't, teach like it, it you have to have it but he backs that up with production he has been an elite edge guy at mississippi state for a couple of years he's racked up 22 stacks over the last couple of years in the best conference of in college football that to me is a huge get for them all the way down at 26 so so long as his heart can hold out and he stays healthy he could turn out to be an absolute steal in this draft absolutely and he's also big enough that he can actually slide inside on known passing downs and stuff like that he's athletic enough to be able to do that i think he was a a really good pickup and i agree with actually both of those two uh lastly i don't have too many more what are your thoughts on cleveland furl uh the dn taking out of clemson went number four overall kind of the the direct opposite of Rashawn Gary. Probably not quite as athletic, but production through the roof. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone saw this as a bit of a reach because they had him projected like 10 to 20 maybe or even a little bit further back than that. But if Oakland think that he's the guy to fill the need for them at that spot, 
I don't hate it. I think he can be a very productive player at the next level. I mean, they've shown that across that D-line, uh, how elite they've been. It's going to be interesting to see how these guys go individually uh, outside of the unit that they had. Because they were so dominant, they weren't ever really up against the double teams because you double team one of them and another one's just going to run the muck. So teams had to kind of stack up up front in a fairly standard front and it allowed a lot of one-on-one situations for these guys that at other schools are certainly get, facing double teams regularly. So it will be interesting to see that. It's not saying that the talent level is going to be any different because they'll be playing alongside elite D linemen. It's just that the level is going to be higher for them than perhaps some of the other you know players who are the best player on their team. Yep, for sure. I agree. Uh, I think that he he is you know he is a good player, but I am conscious of the Clemson D line pick. Uh, they have flamed out in the NFL a bit like the USC wide receiver in the first round. Just don't do it um, because they just don't end up working out. So need to be a little. I'm always conscious of that one as well. The other one that was a really good pickup I thought was Josh Allen at number seven to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is athletically very very gifted. A former two star wide receiver at Kentucky. Uh, jumps up to the number seven overall pick as an outside edge rusher. Okay, now just to finish off this draft segment for us here. Yes, sir. Let's talk Kyler Murray. Okay. Thoughts on number one overall, obviously won the Heisman, had an amazing year, single year, but an amazing year. How do you see him going at that next level? Uh, I would have been, if if Baker Mayfield, and I know they're different players, and I know Kyler Murray is smaller and, uh, you know, slighter, I suppose. He doesn't have the weight that, that Baker Mayfield does. Uh, he's a bit quieter as well. Baker Mayfield... He's an arrogant prick. He is, but he's, he refuses to lose. He's a super competitor. And I'm not saying Kyler Murray is or isn't, but he's super quiet, doesn't say too much. Uh, I... Ooh, there's a lot of... Um, Cliff Kingsbury in this pick and he wants his quarterback and a guy that he can work with and I'm nervous about it. I think if Baker Mayfield had struggled last year and was just mediocre, I'd be like, oh, this isn't going to work. The only thing that sort of gives me hope in some of these slighter, smaller quarterbacks that didn't work with Robert Griffin, uh, he's kind of the pin-up boy for the, you know, more mobile, active, dual-threat quarterback in the NFL and that didn't really work out. Uh, that Baker Mayfield has had some success. Lamar Jackson last year did have some success, limited, and I think that'll continue to dwindle next year. So that is the only thing that gives me some hope, is that the, the league is more an offensive league now, and, and that suits Kyler Murray. I don't think it'll work out, though. Okay, interesting. I, I, I think it's a fascinating one, too, because it's really hard to project whether a dude's going to get hurt or not. Yeah. And that's just, a lot of this comes down to that, whether his body can hold up to dudes like Nick Bosa and Quinn and Williams and that you know whole generation of elite defensive line talent that doesn't quite match up to the offensive line. You're going to get hit, and you're going to get hit quite a few times across the year, especially in Arizona with a team that isn't overly talented up front and has glaring holes all over the place still, even after a solid draft. Can he stand up to that? I think as a player, he has everything you need. He's so you think his skill set holds up in the NFL? Absolutely. I think, okay. he, I think he's an incredibly intelligent player, which is huge for the position. And obviously, athletically, he's off the charts for the position. To be drafted in the first uh, round of the 
Major League Baseball and then to be taken one overall. Like he, he's a special talent there. And you've seen it on the field. Like his accuracy is on point. His decision making is there. He is shifty as anything. But he, yeah, he is shifty, but will he be able to throw, do things that you have to be able to do at the NFL, which he wasn't forced to do last year? Can he throw guys open? Can he fit that ball into that tiny window? Or when the guy is like double covered, can you yeah drop the ball into that those tight areas? And I think he does have that arm talent. Yeah, I, okay. I legitimately do. And that's why I think from that side of things, that's not my concern. It is just that... like He's he, a he, he Exactly right. He's... Under six foot tall, which gets publicized, but it's also that weight. Like he was 200 pounds when he weighed in at the combine, but that's because he drank like 20 liters of water <laughs> on the on the podium on the side on the way in. Like I think he's more around 180 pounds uh, for his playing weight, and and that's quite small for the position. Interesting. Yeah, he'll be a fascinating one to to watch play out because there has not been a quarterback like him come in and be successful. I mean, you could argue argue Baker Mayfield, but obviously the jury is still out on that one as well. So it'll be interesting. And those two will continue to be compared for their entire careers as well. Well, and Russell Wilson's the other one that gets thrown in that comparison. He's so, a bit heavier though. He, he he's, is, he's a he different is. style. He he moves around in shifty to to throw the ball. He doesn't bail and run. But, it, but he's sub six foot. He and, is. But and so that's... is like Drew Brees isn't particularly tall either, but... They're all different, aren't they? That's the thing. Absolutely. Like, yeah, they're all a little bit different. Uh, okay, that just about brings us to the end of our first episode back for season 2019. Uh, we're looking to go once a month from here on out. Yeah, yeah. just keep in touch, uh, cover off on things as they happen. We might try and figure out a few segments to work in. Uh, obviously, we want to get through the previews of each of the conferences at some point in the lead up to uh before we get going so i think that'll be a good touch point for us yep uh it's it's i mean it's pretty quiet in through summer over in the states as we head into the depths of winter here uh there's not a lot going on from the sporting arena until like uh, basketball finishes up and you know you're i don't know how bloody westbrook went didn't they go out yeah we've been bounced out so nba's done for me that's a bit boring unlucky uh but yeah um yeah so apart from that there's not really uh a whole lot more at the college football or nfl end for us uh but we'll just keep you guys in touch with all the movements that do go on yeah and hopefully we can reach out and uh, get in touch with a couple of the aussie boys maybe really really pump that up and find out what's happening in that space i know pro kick have been incredibly active in getting some more people up in the program and passing along a new class into uh, college football. So we'll definitely keep everyone updated with who's gone where and and what's happening in that space. We've got a new punter at Miami. He's an Australian boy. And looks like he's murdered someone. He is terrifying (laughs) by the looks of things. But good for him. He's getting a whole heap of press too. And uh, Mitch Wisniewski, we forgot to mention. Oh, yeah, sorry, we did too. In the draft. Amazing. Fourth round pick, which is huge for a punter. punter. That's that's an incredible effort. And he's been an elite punter for a couple of years now at uh, Utah. So not a huge surprise, but... Great for him to get drafted into a good spot and hopefully goes on as the next great Aussie punter. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Thank you for listening to Episode 1, Season 2019. Welcome back. On behalf of Will, my name's Aaron, and we will see you next month. 